Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. I have an army. We have a Hulk. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play? To lay down on a wire and let the other guy crawl over you? You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. Everything special about you came from the bottom. I put a bullet in my mouth and the other guy spit it out. He's my friend. So was I. Nobody spills the secrets because nobody knows them. The city's flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. I'm man popping, y'all! I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. Oh, I'll get that up. The, the Under Channel. The Under Under Made up names. Um, I'm Spider-Man then. The under channel you become part of a bigger universe you just don't know it yet welcome to the under channel versus the marvel cinematic universe this is robert under at my side turning knobs a man in the drops aaron we're connected and the under channel head of security steve excelsior today we're going to be talking iron man 3 released on may 3rd 2013 and directed by shane black iron man 3 was the seventh film to be released and is the eighth chronologically Tony struggles to keep his life in order after witnessing the other side of the portal, when an explosion ordered by terrorist leader the Mandarin seriously injures the head of security for Stark Industries. These movies have been talked to death, so we won't go too deep, but here's a couple things I'd like to discuss. From Fiege to Black. I'm sorry, from Favre to Black. Favre. Iron Man 3, the end of the trilogy that started off the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first Iron Man movie to not feature John Favre, although he is in it. He's happy. He's happy as happy, but he's not the man behind the uh, the desk. He's not calling the shots. First off, why the change? I saw two different reasons. The first being Favre's price point at this point was continuing to rise, <laughs> and Marvel wasn't sure they wanted to pay it. But there was also that Marvel wanted a lot more control over trying to shoe in all of the characters from the universe. He didn't like that they were so uncertain. Did they want it to be a group movie? Did they want it to be an Iron Man movie? He didn't like that they wanted as much control as they did. And they were already starting to have creative differences from Iron Man 2, as it was with Favre mm. wanting to uh, do different things, and the studio saying, no, we're going to do it this way. And so that makes sense. Yeah. I so mean, he was a good sport about it, though. I mean, he stayed on board. What do you guys think of the difference? Like, what could you say was the big difference in directorial style from 1 and 2 now to 3? Overall, I think that Iron Man 3 had a um, more of a, it felt more Tony Stark to me, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, than Iron Man 2 did. It felt more uh, tongue-in-cheek at times. It also felt like the movie dismantled itself at times, where it kind of just made fun of itself, it made fun of its own idea. Tony Stark invents this suit that can do these great things, but it's a piece of garbage. His stuff malfunctions on him, things along those lines. I feel like the reason why Stark's inventions don't work as well in this movie compared to the other two is because of his PTSD, because of, yeah, his, well, lack, it, it's because of his lack of sleep. Character-wise, absolutely. Yeah. And he's like falling apart. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that so when they made the change going into this third movie, I expected like a complete change in tone. I always thought the director in these movies had a bigger impact on like the story being told. I think what he did in terms of the fact that he ignored 
a traditional story of the origins that this story is born from before it became the screenplay. He just said, screw it, we're doing it this way. Well, I have a quote from Robert Downey Jr. about Shane Black. It says, bringing in Black to write and direct Iron Man 3, to me, is basically the only transition from Favre to the next thing that both Favre and the audience and the Marvel Studios and me personally would have signed off on. So the four entities that needed to make Iron Man 3, Marvel Studios, John Favre, the audience, and Downey. Downey Jr. He said that Shane Black was the only director that all four could agree on they, that could they do would a let good it, job. They, let, they would give them the reins. Exactly. Okay. And I watched it, and like I said, I expected there to be bigger changes, especially because I know, having not seen them all, that the Marvel comedy is getting worse and worse as these movies go on. It's getting more geared towards children. It's okay. Just let him. He hasn't experienced all of them yet. I haven't Steve. yet. You're right. I'm only oh, going no, by I'm the, same. the few that I've seen. Did you not like the quips in Avengers? I don't recall you saying anything about No, it was that. okay. It still felt different writing team, though. Yeah. It I still mean, felt yeah, good I to mean, me in that. Avengers was Whedon, so yeah, I mean, yeah. this was Shane Black. So I was, I'm just curious. No, it just, I expected there, because I have seen Thor Ragnarok. I've seen the third, third yeah. Thor movie, and that at times is so cartoony that I feel like, well, there's got to be a hitching point where, like the first run, the phase one, there is no stupid humor. Those movies are pretty much played straight to the hilt. Avengers might start to pop it up a little bit, but you have huge personalities coming together for the first time. Now, as I've gone through these movies, I'm starting to see Where they're forcing it in. It's less, or, it's less organic. Yeah, a big one would be, I, I think it's in Thor, Dark World, where her phone rings and Thor's like, it's not me. Yeah. It's like, bitch, you don't have a cell phone. You're, <laughs> You're not even from this dimension. Nobody thinks it's the, you. The biggest thing I'll say about the black piece is I've never seen his movies. Anything what Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is his, his that's claim a, that's to his fame. Big movie. Yeah, Fat Val Kilmer. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I don't have anything to draw upon from Black. Whereas Favre, I've seen his other movies, and his style is there with the first two Iron Man movies, but also it feels like he really stepped outside of his own box when he made those movies. A lot of people that I, when I read about Black being the director for three, they said that his tone from his previous efforts and what he does definitely bleeds into Iron Man 3. So it wasn't like Black reinvented himself as a director or anything like that. Yeah. Next up, a stark difference. Something Aaron's been hammering home since we started doing this is the growth you see from Iron Man 1 now to the conclusion, well, even in the rest of the universe. But let's just talk about what we've seen from Iron Man 1 now through Iron Man 3. So Iron Man 1, we start out, we see basically an untouchable billionaire asshole has been able to do whatever he wants, has never found a problem that he couldn't personally pull himself out of. We get into Iron Man 2, you start to see the chinks in the armor. He starts to realize, hey, as much fun as it is to be Tony Stark, it's still, at the end of the day, it's still being a lonely person. You're starting to see issues where he's like, I really don't have a circle of trust. I don't have these other people around me. And he was kind of dying in a way. Yeah, absolutely. So he started really just, what does it matter? And Iron Man 3 is a good continuation from that Iron Man 2 storyline where you started to see him find his own mortality. In this one, I'm PTSD, like you mentioned a little bit it's, ago. Like, it's more from Avengers and then Iron Man I, I know it is, but I'm saying the continuation from 2 to 3, it's like, one, he... I don't think Tony Stark even thought about his death once in Iron Man 1. 
Like he didn't no, have a he, reason. He, he really to. thought he never he was, lost his confidence, no, even when he at was at his he most was invincible. He was invincible. Iron Man two is when he started to realize he can't do it alone. And now in Iron Man three, it's almost like he needs to be saved. He yeah. needs somebody to come in and be like, "No, Tony, you know what? On this problem you have, we're gonna help you out here. I'm gonna shield you through this." One. God, it's that's so terrible that you 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 phrase it that way because of how Iron Man three plays out. <laughs> He gets no help. <laughs> oh, ex- yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. But the uh, big one, Pepper Potts. What did you guys think of Pepper, her growth from Iron Man 1 to 3? I do like that in the third movie that they got rid of the damsel in distress and they did give her... Yes. They did give her fake powers for a half hour. <laughs> Directed by him. Yeah, I mean, I did like that she actually was the main reason why... I mean, she defeated... Gillian, I did like that. For sure. She saved the day instead of Tony Stark doing it. Yeah, she was more of a focal point in Iron Man 3, but I, I felt like doing that took away from the dynamic of the two of them's relationship in a way. And to me, it almost felt like Pepper Potts faded out as a romantic interest. Oh, I mean, prior to her like turning into that at the last half hour, it was yeah. just them fighting. Yeah, they were constantly like figuring out the dynamic of what what is our relationship because I she cares about him she doesn't want to see anything happen to him type of a thing she wants it to become a a normal you're not a hero you don't need to be type of a thing and he's not he, that's not him yeah the only thing I didn't get was it would make sense to me if he's going through this so she's pushing herself into the business to keep it going but her main grievance was that he wasn't paying enough attention to her. Yeah, including what we see later on when he sends in his new Iron Man suit. I don't know, I think they could have worked out that dynamic a little better and they could have maybe shown her struggling a little more as the CEO at Stark to kind of, I just felt like there wasn't enough pressure on her other than the fact that her husband. That would have been a good. Of, that would have been a good development character yeah. for her. Yeah, she didn't on. have enough development in the story. She was just very minor in this one. It's good though. I mean, the one thing that shines in Iron Man three, in throughout the storytelling of these movies so far, is that your characters actually do matter. Mm-hmm. These are character story driven movies. It's not just an action movie. It's not just a superhero movie where it can just be very generic and bland. There is a delving into these characters and what happens to them, and it actually means something. Before we dive into the lack of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this movie and them not arriving to assist, let's talk about the Mandarin. Once again, this story dives into terrorism as a major point of conflict. But it took it on its head, right? Because you start out and you see the Mandarin. He's putting out these videos, uh, very like 2006 terrorist thing where he was like yeah. leaking videos to um, yeah. to the news. Uh, but then you find out that he's actually just an actor. He's a figurehead. What did you guys think of the Mandarin that you saw that we were led to believe is such an awful, uh, ended up just being kind of a comedic effect character? When I first saw this movie, when it first came out years ago, everyone around me was very, very upset around it. I was upset about it as well because you're taking away this lore of the Mandarin who is Iron Man's Joker, I would say, compared to, like, they're just, they messed with the lore. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, since Marvel rewrites how they want to play these characters, like an upcoming movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, none of the characters, how they are in the movie, are how they are in the comics. So I guess I have to accept how Mandarin is, how they did the Mandarin. 
because I can't. You can't complain about one can't end like the other. No, you're say. absolutely right. The MCU has taken it to themselves to say, "This is our universe, and this is how we are going to do it." We said earlier that Shane is it Shane Black. Shane Black. Shane yeah. Black. We said that the four pillars that we're only going to accept him as a director. It reinforces that fact because he as well said, "You know what? I don't care." I'm not going to have the Mandarin be the main enemy. We're going to turn him into a joke in this movie. We're going to turn him into this sideshow act. As a regular movie, it's a very good twist because you is. do not see it coming whatsoever. But since it's a superhero movie and a lot of fans lot take of, that stuff. Very loyal to very a, lore, a Very loyal to the material. Lore. For me, I didn't read Iron Man comic books. Yeah, so none of us are Iron Man fans. To Iron me, Man fans I was cool with it. I was like, oh, dang, really? Could they have some junkie? Could they have gotten by with the comic book version of the Mandarin who's like an over-the-top Asian stereotype it's... with rings <laughs> that shoot like fire and ice out of no, him? No, Mandarin, the Mandarin was always one of I was very curious how they were going to do it because, like you said, he's one of the more difficult. Yeah. He was created during a weird time a in Marvel. A different time, for sure. A different time, and it, I just believe it would be too difficult to pull off without offending someone. Yeah. But what Marvel did notice that they kind of messed this up, so they released a short film called Hail to the King. So they kind of confirmed that there is a real Mandarin. Mm. Now, it's a good 10-minute short film. Nice. It's really solid. It really kind of confirms that Marvel heard everyone's complaints, and they kind of retconned it, and they kind of fixed it. Well, I'm going to link that in the description below on the YouTube. It's called Hail to the King. I will give Aldrich Killian credit. As the first threat in this who can actually, like, injure Iron Man, because in that final battle when he's going through... Yeah, him uh, is an ex, his extremist organization. Yeah, he is just cutting Iron Man suits in half. Like, yeah. with his hands, he's karate chopping him, kicking through them. I was really excited to finally see a villain that could do physical harm to Tony, which I think they did a good job of bringing all those additional suits in. Because if he was just kind of chopping Tony Stark's body parts off, that movie wouldn't have lasted <laughs> very long. But he's fighting all these Goodbye. automaton suits, and he can kill him, and he can destroy him. S.H.I.E.L.D. Watching all these movies in order, it is glaringly apparent that S.H.I.E.L.D. is absent in this movie. Bye-bye. Because starting from Iron Man 1, S.H.I.E.L.D. has always had a presence in these Iron Man movies. They've always and, been at Tony's door. Yeah, and it's just gotten more and more. Every single time a new hero was added, S.H.I.E.L.D., their overreach continues. And then finally, we get to this movie, which should be a celebration of everything they've done the five years leading up to it. You don't get anything to do with S.H.I.E.L.D. It was just kind of really... I, I didn't understand why. I didn't understand the purpose behind... I, Aaron and I believe that this was happening during Winter Soldier. Yeah, that's my theory on it, too, that Iron Man 3 takes place after Winter Soldier. And we, you know, no, you could even say during. Or during, yeah. Um, and what happens with Winter Soldier is S.H.I.E.L.D. is dismantled, basically. There right. is no S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore. So there is no S.H.I.E.L.D. to Because I agree with you. I'm watching Iron Man 3, and I'm like... At what point does somebody step in and save Tony Stark? Because they are literally shooting missiles at his house. They went to his house and they blew it up. They blew it off the map. They killed him for all intents and purposes. That is a really good scene, though. They, it is a great scene. It's because like you see an unprepared Tony. Like he did he not. Did not I, he did not expect him to come out that fast. And yeah, they came at him hard. But you get no shield, and not only you get no shield. You have an unfinished suit. You get no Captain America. Yeah. He doesn't come out of nowhere to help him out. You get nobody. None, none of his new super friends show what would, up. What have Cap done? 
I don't know. The, the Hulk could have definitely done something. Yeah. And it's so weird because if I look at it the other way, I would assume any other character that's being written that they need another Avenger to come in, it would always be Iron Man who flies in to help. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Iron Man would be that first response Like, why doesn't he bring it up like, later else? on in a movie? Like, you guys remember that time when my house <laughs> got blown up? Who came to help? Not a single one of you came to help, did you? Well, they could have done so much because they already made the points in The Avengers that Tony Stark and Banner were going to be hanging out. Yeah. They could have easily had Banner Science play a role in for that. life. Yeah. Actually, a very good plot. Um, what's the word? It's not, it's not a plot point, but like a plot hole is how come Tony didn't have the 43 iron suits come out at that point? Yeah. It's just to make a good plot twist at the end. They were getting blown up at the same time, though, right? No, those were like at a different location. Oh, okay. Some of those were just the display case ones. Maybe it's after that that he realized he needed to come up with that Operation House Party or whatever it was called, Iron Legion. And I don't want to shit on this movie too much because I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But it's just that what I've learned to enjoy the most from Iron Man as a character is the way he chooses to interact with all of the other characters in the universe. I like the way Tony Stark makes fun of Captain America, but still follows his lead. Mm -hmm. I like the way that Tony Stark interacts with them. For me to go straight from the Avengers to this movie and not get any of that, it really, it just kind of threw me off. And, and it's nothing to do with them. I don't think I would have enjoyed the movie much more if there were a bunch of other superheroes here. But I don't know. I just think it was an odd choice this far into the continuity to make a movie that's completely separate from what's going on. To close out the reaction section, I put together a little game. So, this game is called Mr. Stark's Fantastical Wardrobe. So on March 25th, 2013, the Iron Man 3 Facebook ran an Unlock the Armors promotion, which encouraged users to go to the Hall of Armor to unlock new suits for a chance to win a trip to the LA premiere of the film. So I'm gonna show you guys a couple of the Iron Man suits that were in the movie. These are the suits that are flying around with him at the end of it. And I want you guys to guess what you think that the code name is for each suit. So. The code names were made up by... What he's calling them as they're interacting. Okay. All right. First and foremost, this is the Mark 17. Any idea, any guess on what this suit is called? This is a fairly traditional looking Iron Man suit. Red armor with some gold on it. I actually know that one. All right. Go for it. What's the heartbreaker? This suit is the heartbreaker. Yeah. Good job. Because of the giant unibeam on the chest. That's one point for Aaron and zero points for Steve. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a great game. <laughs> the Mark 33. This is an enhanced energy suit. I don't remember Does any of them. guess at what this one's I don't called. Any of them. Let's call it the Jackal. Just for shits and giggles. I don't know what the hell you call that one. Incorrect. That is the Silver Centurion. Mm, nice. Centurion. Nice. Right. 10 out of 10. <laughs> That's uh, one point for Aaron and zero points for Steve. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to lose. What's the All right. On? The time is. I spent time putting this together. We're going through all seven of these. Suits Steve. are awesome. It really was awesome to see There's all There's a ton of suits in this movie. Yeah. Mark 35. This is the disaster rescue suit. It's pretty cool looking. It's a cool suit, for sure. Any guess? Just guess, Steve. No. You're not even going to guess? No, I'm not going to guess. How fun. 
<laughs> I'm not a fun person. It's the first one, I believe, to feature that rectangle beam in the chest, though, if I'm not mistaken. So it's kind of different, but I couldn't guess what yeah. that one is. He does purposely call this one out in the movie. This is the Red Snapper. The Red Snapper? Yep, and he says something like, Heartbreaker, go help out Red Snapper. Huh, it's like watching Transformers. This is the oddest one. This suit looks unlike all of the other ones. This is the Mark 38. I know that one. There you go. That's iconic. That's Igor. That's the Igor suit, absolutely. So that's two points for Aaron and zero points for Steve. Did you know that one, Steve? No, I forgot all their names. <laughs> like I sat down and watched it, and I can't remember any of their names. Next up, the Mark 39. This is a pretty cool-looking suit. Very similar to uh, Destiny. Yes, Games that's the one he it. makes so it can travel into space. Want to take a guess at what this bad boy is called? I forgot the name of it. But it's, it has because of its space capabilities. Yep. It is the Gemini. Is that, or is it Gemini? It's the Gemini. Okay. I mean, that's what they call it, yeah. Uh, Mark 40. This is a silver suit. They describe it as a hypervelocity suit. The Super Sentry. Incorrect. That was the other one. This is the shotgun. Okay. Shotgun. All right. This is the coolest one. The Mark 41. Yes, that is a cool suit, and a lot of people talk about that suit. Anyone want to take a guess at what this suit is codenamed? Bones. That absolutely is called Bones. Good job, Aaron. So, <laughs> final score for Mr. Stark's Fantastical Wardrobe. That's Aaron with three. High fives! And Steve with zero. Champion. I got into the suits in that movie. Notice. They did a good job with the suits. Oh, no, the Iron Legion scene is amazing. Yeah. It's just like... Oh, wow, this, this is actually happening. Then you're at the very end, just one by one, just... Poof. Yep. Yeah, and there were a couple other ones, like the traffic suit that has the two big... Uh, or, like, the earthquake suit yeah. that punches the ground. But they didn't have cool, like, cards for those ones, so... <laughs> so a lot of them look very similar to each other, For too, sure. Though, so that's one thing about it. That's... To close out the first part of the show, we've decided to feature a single piece of dialogue that we felt best captured the essence of the film. Allow me to paint you a picture. While sitting in a diner catching up with Rhodes about the continually raising stakes, what should be an innocent exchange between Tony and a couple of pint-sized fans shakes Tony to his core, bringing his true feelings to the surface. So what's really going on? Mandarin. Seriously, can we talk about this guy? It's classified information, Tony. Okay, there have been nine bombings. The public only knows about three. But here's the thing. Nobody can ID a device. There's no bomb casing. You know I can help. Just ask. I got a ton of new tech. I got a prehensile suit. I got, a, I, got, I got bomb disposal. Catches explosions midair. So last time you got a good night's sleep. Einstein slept three hours a year. Look what he did. People are concerned about you, Tony. I'm concerned about you. You're going to come at me like no, that? No, look, I'm not trying to be a dick. Tater. Do you mind signing my drawing? If Richard doesn't mind, you all right with this, <laughs> yeah. Dick? Fine with me. What's your name? Aaron. I loved you in a Christmas story, by the way. Listen, the Pentagon is scared. After New York, aliens, come on. They need to look strong. Stopping the Mandarin is priority, but it's not... It's not superhero business. No, it's not, quite it. frankly. It's American it. business. So I said I... Okay. Both the crime. Are you okay, hey, Mr. Tark? Take it easy. Tony. How did he get out of the wormhole? Wait a minute. Tony. What are you saying? Tony. Sorry. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. 
And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Over 21 movies in 11 years, the minds behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe have worked to craft one of the deepest interconnected film series of all time. It's time for Aaron to tell us just how Iron Man 3 ties into the overall storyline by serving up some connective tissue. Okay, so we're officially in Phase 2. We've gone through Captain America, the first Avenger. We've had Iron Man 1 and 2. We've had Thor. We've experienced the Avengers. And we've had a great ride so far. What Iron Man 3 begins to do is answer the question for the MCU. What do we do next? What stories can we tell next? Where can we go with all of these characters beyond the Avengers? Because the Avengers was a major cinematic experience for everyone involved, the audience as well as the story and the characters. And in Iron Man 3, we've already talked about it, Tony is suffering. PTSD, you know, and honestly, I, I really think he's been suffering from PTSD since the very first Iron Man movie when he was blown up in the Humvee, mm. you know, and had to escape and everything. So it just becomes exacerbated by him flying that nuke through the wormhole. Throughout the movie, he's avoiding triggers that will make his anxiety rev up. He's becoming an insomniac. He's constantly having vivid recollections of the day that they fought. It was in New York, right? Mm -hmm. That's where it all yep. took place. You know, going into the wormhole, the Chitauri invading, things along those lines. All the things he had to do. I mean, in the Avengers, Tony's holding it together. But realistically, he's inside of his head, subconsciously, he's scared shitless. And it starts to really fester and bubble up in Iron Man 3. He's really having a hard time moving past the events that happened in the Avengers. And in order for Iron Man 3 to breathe as a story and as a movie, you had to have that. You had to have Tony move past those events and really flesh that out for his character. So they did a really good job of attacking that and really showing you how Tony moves through everything. I thought one of the best lines he had in the movie came at the very beginning. Um, and he said that we create our own demons which also is prophetic because when he invents or designs or creates Ultron, Ultron says we create the things we dread. So eventually, Tony Stark, through all these things that he does and what he creates and what he makes, kind of is his own self-fulfilling prophecy. He's always going to be putting himself into danger. No matter what happens, he's going to have to face danger. He's going to have to face life-threatening circumstances. So he's got to get past himself. He's got to go through this PTSD and figure out where he is. How is his life? What is it that's going to do it for him? So that's your biggest real connective tissue that I found in that plot-wise. After that, we get into some fun stuff. We talked earlier about the suits. You get to see a lot of suits in this movie. In fact, you get to go from suit number six, Mark Six, all the way through Mark 42. Mark 42 is the one that he uses through most of the movie. Odd thing about Mark 42 is it doesn't run off of his arc reactor in his chest. It actually just runs on a different power supply. That's why he has so much problems with power. Because when he made that new element, virtually he was unstoppable. But for whatever reason, 42, he decides he doesn't need all that. So anyways. Uses a car battery to yeah. charge it up. <laughs> Mark's 8 through 41, basically he just ups the ante with every suit. More versatile. You know, it can survive different conditions. 
He even invents one based off of the kid he gets stranded with in Tennessee, which it's a Christmas movie in the end, so um, you got to have a little kid in there somewhere. But the kid suggests he should have one that cloaks. Mark 15 is his first suit that cloaks. We see Igor, Mark 38, later on in the house party scene. 39 can travel into space, like we said earlier. 41 bones can separate, come back to itself. They do a lot of cool things with the suits. I talked about it earlier. The movie also does a good job of messing with itself. We find out his suits aren't waterproof. They have power problems. His stuff is constantly malfunctioning on him. Even in the most, I guess, heroic scene that Tony has in the movie and has become an iconic scene when he saves everybody from falling out of Air Force One, what immediately happens after that? The suit gets hit by a truck. Yep. <laughs> you couldn't handle that? You continue to have Tony deal with his dad issues, but he gets to parallel them against somebody now with that little kid in Tennessee that he meets. The kid's name is slipping my mind right I now. I just kept calling him Kid. Yeah, Kid. It's, that's basically what his name is. But, you know, the kid has the same problems as Tony. He didn't really know who his dad was, you know, and Tony just says to him, you know what? Dads leave. No need to be a pussy about it. I loved it. You know? Yeah. So as much as Tony is working himself through that, he gets to deflect and reflect with another person. So I think that kid ultimately helped Tony see what he needed to do. Little weird connective piece here. The Mandarin speeches. If you think of how he tells them, the cadence in which he, he says them, he's like, fortune cookies. Made in America, actually. Blah, blah, blah. If you're not thinking of Bane from uh, Dark Knight Rises... I don't know what you're thinking of, because him and Bane, are, they, they're probably brothers, because <laughs> their speeches sound very similar to each other. I was fine with that when he said it as part of his cheesy propaganda video, but when that's what he was telling those two girls he had in his bed when they found out that he was an actor. You yeah. know that scene when they walk in, he's yeah, in the yeah. bathroom? He's like, that's all he's got. That's, that's, all, he's, that's, that's all he's telling. It, it reminded me of... Uh, Ain't got no drugs. He's got to try something else. Of the monarch. Yeah. Like, if they went to the monarch, he'd be like, yeah, <laughs> the monarch. You know, monarch butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> I talked earlier about Ultron and Tony and the quote and everything, but at that point and throughout this movie, we begin to see... Tony and his life begin to take a darker tone and it kind of works its way up through Avengers Age of Ultron. I don't know if anyone's going to agree with this one, but Adric Killian, Aldric Killian or whatever you want to say, there's a ridiculous scene when he's fighting against Tony and all those guys when he has him captured where he breathes fire out of his mouth. Yeah, that was really weird. That was a little, that was a little different. I guess he's like the ultimate badass in that extremist group. But it makes you think of another character that Iron Man had to fight comic book-wise. And they alluded to this character in the f was it the first Iron Man or maybe Iron Man 2 when he flies through Vegas. I think it's Iron Man 1, yeah. He flies through Vegas. He, he hasn't quite learned how to control his suit yet. He zooms past a billboard. And the billboard is for Fing Fang Foom, which is a dragon. Quite remember the yeah. dragon's name. So he's a dragon. What do dragons do? Breathe fire. They breathe fire, baby. So is Eldrick Killian Fing Fang Foom, and that's what they decided to do with Fing Fang Foom. Because he's got the dragon tattoos, too. Does he? He's got two dragon tattoos on his chest when he takes his shirt off. And nice. I, was like, I didn't notice that. I thought it was a nod to the Mandarin, but yeah. you, you may be absolutely right. So the last two pieces I have, obviously Tony's AI tech that he uses to control his suits and stuff along those lines, that is leading the way to Ultron. 
who we will find out about because Ultron and that level of AI is scary stuff. And last but not least, end credit scene, Tony shrinking out to Bruce Banner. One of the more comical parts, but it was great because it was like you got the science bros back together and you found out that this whole movie is just Tony telling Bruce Banner about all of it. All this narration is just him shrinking out to Bruce Banner when Bruce is asleep pretty much the whole time. (laughs) Not really that kind of doctor. (laughs) When Marvel launched the MCU, they redefined canon for every one of their characters. This version is now the public perception of Iron Man. John Q. Public won't be referring to the quarter bins when defending their favorite superhero's badassery. They'll be talking about these movies. But that doesn't mean the stories being told are original. So let's check out where the studios found their inspiration. The Invincible Iron Man is number one through six. The Warren Ellis penned lead-off to the fourth volume of Iron Man comics. This is a story called Extremis, featuring Aldrich Killian, a scientist who develops the Extremis virus and sells it to a terrorist group. Tales of Suspense number 50, debut of the Mandarin, a warlord who's even proven too much for the communist Chinese government. Iron Man goes over to help bring him down and he uses 10 power rings, which were used as a power supply for an alien spacecraft. Iron Man number 225 to 231. Again, these are the armor wars. This continues to offer up a lot of the framework of Tony Stark's struggles with government control and trying to deal with power of the Iron Man technology and if he wants it to be privatized or not. Half of the fun of watching these movies isn't just what you should be paying attention to, it's the little pieces of fanfare hidden in plain sight. It's time for Steve to strap on his floppy ears and share some Easter eggs. So this movie, this is actually the first Iron Man movie and the first movie in this entire cinematic universe that does not hint at the events of a future movie in a mid-credits or post-credits sync. Hmm, interesting. This movie was kind of like, it's its own movie. It's standalone. But it's like it's number three, so it's at the very end of a trilogy. True. So it's, it's weird but interesting at the same time that Iron Man 3 is kind of a standalone first cut of this movie was actually three hours and 15 minutes so i'm i am kind of curious nothing i've read has said what was cut but i'm actually curious what they've cut out of the movie a whole nother storyline yeah because and at times too iron man 3 gets a little bogged down in itself yeah i was like this is like 15 minutes too long he could have just spent less time with the kid i don't know i think they really tried to ham up the fact that that kid was going to help him realize he needed to be a better person (laughs) it's like no that kid just needed to bring him up to a sandwich uh, this is when, uh, so this is the second Marvel movie to hit a billion dollars. So this is when Marvel movies were starting to hit hit its stride, and each movie was just like next Marvel movie to hit a billion dollars. It happened. The next four movies we're about to see, each of them almost hit a billion dollars. Nice. Well, the post-credit scene was originally meant to have Tony Stark blasting up in this space to meet the Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. Iron Man was originally supposed to have a cameo role in Guardians of the Galaxy, and all much to him actually being a Guardians member in the comics. Yes. But this was scrapped when Robert Downey Jr. was saying he might not reprise his role as Tony Stark in the future. So that's why instead we get the Mark Ruffalo scene. And it's a better scene in the end, I think. And also this is the first time that someone has played the Incredible Hulk twice. Or not the Incredible Hulk, but Bruce Banner. Each person who played Bruce Banner in a movie only has played Bruce Banner once. Ooh, okay, I see what you're going with. First, okay, first reprisal of the role. Yes. yes. Interesting. And now we're going to talk about Stan Lee's cameo in this movie. He is a... What's, what's the word? 
judge for a uh, bikini contest. I don't do, remember do you guys the scene. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Yep, nice. The, the Miss, Miss Universe. Miss Universe, whatever that yeah, so is. The Miss that Universe contest. Huh. Where Tony goes to get the van. He needs the power supply to shoot this, the oh, communication signal. Okay. He pulls over at the side. And yes. Yeah. And you see Stan Lee, and you have all these models, and Stan Lee just holds up this 10 with a big <laughs> smile on his face. You dirty old man. God bless you, Stan. If you enjoy what you heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The time has come for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Giant Size Trivia Challenge. Aaron and Steve will be facing off daily to determine who's really paying attention as they attempt to slog through these films. Scores will tally throughout the month, and at the end, whoever has answered the most questions correct will be crowned the winner, and the losers shall face punishment. I have three questions. The first will go to Aaron, the second will go to Steve, and the third will be open to whoever answers first. I've given both gentlemen a buzzer. Aaron, your sound is... Steve, your sound is... Gentlemen, I will need to hear that before I hear your answer on that third question. So here we go, Aaron. While Eldrick Killian is meeting with Pepper Potts, his hired hand is sitting in the lobby reading a magazine featuring Potts on its cover. What magazine is he skimming? World Magazine. That is incorrect. Steve? Rolling Stone. That is also incorrect. It was a Forbes magazine. Oh, uh, we should have Pepper Potts on the Pepper Potts, CEO. Yeah. There's a whole storyline through this whole movie. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to say it, I'm glad one of you guys did. <laughs> All right, Steve. One of the requests Tony has from the kid was a wristwatch. When he returns, the kid tells him that the watch is limited edition. Door of the Explorer. Absolutely correct, Steve. <laughs> oh, you finally gave me an Got easy a one. Point. They've all been easy, Steve. I mean, maybe not the Captain America bus number question, but <laughs> I've tried to make them way more obvious since then. All right. Final question. In need of a stronger signal, Tony pulls over at a local beauty pageant to commandeer the satellite dish atop a news van. What city are that news van and its stark idolizing owner from? Nashville. Incorrect. Good guess, though. It is, Steve, you want to take a guess? No. It is Channel 5 out of Chattanooga. Chattanooga, Tennessee. And with that, we will end the show. But fear not, we shall return tomorrow with Thor Dark World. <laughs>